We're back and we're still alive. That's right. My name's Barney. My name's Dan. We've made it. We made it. We made it through uh, a week. We're still alive. Let's celebrate that. And this is A Bit Spursy, the podcast coming to you from two people who are still alive. Uh, (laughs) It sounds like we're not alive and we're just really trying to convince people that we are. (laughs) We are not ghosts. We are not ghosts. We are definitely not ghosts. If you think we're ghosts, we are not. We can confirm we are not ghosts. So stop thinking that. Stop thinking that as you're listening. Yes, you can't see us right now as you're hearing our voices. We understand that. It's confusing. It's a podcast. We are alive. And not ghosts. Not ghosts. Yep. We are definitely not ghosts. So it's been a, obviously a better week. Um, just what a segue um, for uh, Spurs in terms of um, compared to last time we, uh, we uh, recorded. I was going to say last time we spoke. <laughs> last time we spoke. With a victory against Palace and then a win in the FA Cup and some good performances as well. Yeah. Um, I was just about to say, I think you could tell how Spurs are going by the energy of our intros. Oh, for sure. Um, and so if you're just a very, very casual Spurs fan, and you don't want to listen to the rest, just listen the first 20 seconds and then you'll get a, a, a little temp check of how things are going overall. Yeah, whether you, I mean, sometimes people that feel sad want to listen to sad music and if you're hearing a low energy, flat, opening um and you just what you need that sort of uh sad i'm trying to think of a sad song and i can't think of any adam song adam song by blink 182 <laughs> if that's the kind of mood you're in go for it if you're listening to the start and you're like i need something to cheer me up um go for it when we have an intro like this full of energy bright um ready to chat i mean to be fair like yes the performances were good i feel a bit better um about the state of the club but I don't feel great. Like we're not flying by any means. And the performances were, you know, especially Portsmouth, which was pretty, you know, I mean, they, you know, they parked the bus, but, you know, it was pretty boring to watch. Um, and we didn't really create many opportunities uh, from memory. I don't know if that's what it says in the stats. No, it definitely felt like a very flat game, the Portsmouth one. It was, it was interesting that we had quite a lot of changes come through, but then the front three, it's like, well... Everyone else is just injured at the moment, so yep. we can't play anyone else um, in that scenario. So it would have been nice to to sort of give at least a bit more of a rest to, you know, Kane Son. And I think to Hill, although if you look at it from another perspective, there's a week between that game and the Arsenal game coming up on Monday. So mm. it's probably good for, for a lot of the team to to actually just get another run out, just as long as they're not getting injured or, you know, pushing any any sort of minor tweaks that they have. So, yeah, I agree. It wasn't a very good game to watch, but I'm just very happy that at least we had the Palace game before that um, to kind of break up the drudgery a little bit. Mm, mm, I agree. Um, Nathan Clark on the Extra Inch does a really good sort of very quick analysis of the Palace game where you got two teams in a mid-block for the first half just sort of losing the ball to each other. And then um, as Palace creep forward in the second half we then start playing balls over the top uh via Kane and things start going uh, much better for us which is you know funny that we're sort of <laughs> in that uh kind of scenario where obviously the the counterattacks and the progression of the ball is more organized than under Mourinho but we're sort of like oh well let's go back to the the Jose method here and <laughs> pump the ball long yeah, we'll see, because there were some people commenting on the Discord about this, like um, alluding to the fact that it could have been maybe sort of just long balls and 
and whatnot. And I think, you know, to an extent they they were longer balls that started things, but I went back and sort of watched all the goals and tried to just look at all the passes that were happening. And I still think that there were some signs of some patterns and movement that we saw, um, in those goals. Like particularly, I think the last one is probably the crispest example of that, where we get the long ball into, um, Kane who just flicks it onto Hill. Son's already made his run. He'll then just one touch straight back to Kane. Kane one touch over the top to Son. Um, and so I thought, ah, oh, at least this sort of shows that when teams do play into our hands, I think we do have the, some of those Conte movements to exploit them. Um, and I think in some of the other goals too, that, yeah, like they, they might've come from some palace mistakes, but we just seemed very clinical when we were getting our chances in that game. So I, I, I agree with your overall sentiment of like, it's definitely not time to start celebrating. Uh, but I think it just at least it's like, yep, there are signs here that we still do know how to play football in certain circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. There are signs, there are whispers, there's, um, uh, I've got, I'm so bad with my words today, which is great. Cause we're recording a podcast. There are, <laughs> um, signals off in the distance, lighthouses on islands undiscovered. There we go. There we go. What a beautiful mm. picture has been painted. Mm, mm. Um, uh, let's talk about, um, Brian Hill or, um, as I heard Conte refer to him, uh, in his press conferences, Gil, um, which I love because it's definitely wrong. And we all, when he started calling La Celso La Celso, we were like, oh, it's actually La Celso. Maybe, maybe it never was. Maybe, well, maybe it was always La Celso and we were, yep. <laughs> of course, let's, <laughs> I, I like the narrative where we were right. <laughs> that's the, yeah. That's always the fun narrative when you're correct. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Or content's correct and we can go, but we can start calling him Gil. 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 Yeah. I, mm. I wonder if it'd be interesting if like his name was actually Hill, but his nickname was Gil. That would be great. Yeah. He responds to both. It's, he responds to both. I couldn't imagine it Gil. Gil. Now, I, now I just said Gil. It's been programmed into me <laughs> in this short time. But I couldn't imagine on the training ground that if someone said his name wrong, he wouldn't sort of pipe up. Yeah. Like he doesn't really have that stature within the squad to be like, oi, no, you're going to call me. You call me Brian. Have you seen what my shirt says? Yeah. Call me Brian. Maybe that's why he goes with Brian. Because it's just everyone knows how to say Brian. Yeah. He played, uh, you know, we've seen him sort of run around a lot, uh, lose the ball a lot, kind of do a whole lot of nothing. And then this game especially, and he was good in the Portsmouth game too, um, felt like, you know, a really important game for him where some of his uh, attempted moves were actually coming off. Yeah. Um, and I think now there's, it's a bit of an interesting position for certain fans to be in because you've got fans who are calling for for Brian to be played a lot more regularly. And I think we, we'd said as well that we wanted to see a little bit more of him, but now it's like he, he starts playing and they're like, look, I told you so. I told you he was a good player. He's look, you should have listened to me from the get go. But whereas I'm sure Conte is still sitting his desk and being like, he just needed more time working, like working with me. He wasn't ready earlier. Yeah. But it seems like there's a lot of, like I told you so is about Brian's ability right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if he had sort of turned out to, not be the full mustard, um, as the English like to say, <laughs> their favourite phrase. Is he the full mustard? Is he the full mustard? Is he the full mustard? They're obsessed with it. 
if you talk to an English person, they'll drop it in a conversation within the first 10 seconds. Uh, and that's a hundred percent true. I, I like the idea that it's like, you know, in the medieval, I was going to say the medieval ages, but that doesn't make sense. In medieval <laughs> times, um, that there was some king who's like, you know what? We're going to start judging everything by mustard. <laughs> yeah. So everything's worth either a full mustard, which is a full bottle of mustard. If he's a half mustard, he's not got all of it. Yeah. And so on and so forth. And and a, a full mustard, that's right. You can't get better than a full mustard. <laughs> yeah. How annoying is it when you go down to the larder and you middle of the night, you want a snack and you open up the mustard and there's only a teeny bit left. And you just think, my God, who has not gone shopping for the mustard? <laughs> and then you behead them and then you find someone to replace them the next day. With a new mustard. I feel like we've gone more Scottish, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's where the origin, that's the origin of the saying, where it came from. That's the origin of the saying. What I, uh, I guess the original point, um, I guess, was that uh, those people you know, when, if they're like, we've got to play this player more, we've got to play this player more. Like, you know, a good example, and, you know, we did this too, but maybe hopefully not to the same extent where I was like, let's play in a ballot, let's play on the ballot, let's play in a ballot. And then we play him and it's like, okay, uh, now I'm done with this guy. <laughs> you know, um, I, I wonder what the reaction would be. Well, I know it would just be nothing. It would be like, yep, well, or you could just maintain that that's the brilliant thing about sport is that you can be like, Okay, so he played and he scored two own goals um, and he was shocking. But um, the thing is, he just needs more time. <laughs> He's actually got it in him. You just haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. He was played slightly out of position. He likes <laughs> yeah. to be playing three metres further up the pitch. Um, so when he's in that, he's a bit more vulnerable, but he's an excellent player. Yeah, yeah. He's an excellent player. You just need to get the conditions right yeah. for him and he can cook. <laughs> Yeah, and look, yeah, I think Hill's cooking at the moment, but he's still, it's simmering around, and mm. I wonder if Hill's performances now make us go, all right, do we need urgently to bring in a backup for Decky? I feel like Hill's kind of maybe filling that void, so that's really not the priority this this transfer window. What do you think? Well, I mean, I still think it would be great to have a backup for... Decky, or if Decky can take Hill to the um, Dejan Kulusevsky school of hard knocks and fury. Um, and because the energy that, you know, Decky brings with his sort of like no bullshit, I, I want to fight everyone, um, but I'm also a very dainty creative player, is um, very unique. And Hill, you know, as we've seen, like he, you know, the, the um, criticisms of him being too slight, uh, he is too slight. He's a, he's a young man. He's got a boy body and he gets bumped <laughs> off the ball by men. Um, but I would love to see a hulking hill with the Kulosevsky chip embedded in his brain. Yeah, no, I understand that. Like it wouldn't be a shock if you found out that like Hill didn't have pubes yet, for example. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be. Um, and I think it's, yeah, he, he could play a part of that decky role, but he, de he definitely can't play the full thing. Um, I just feel that if we did bring in someone to as like, okay, cool. Now we've got the decky backup and I don't think like there are any players that are really like him. So you're probably going to have to skew either to a slightly more technical player or a slightly more physical player. But if you brought in someone else, I then wonder what happens to Hill. Like you've, I think if you're bringing someone else, then you've got to sell Hill. Like there's no point in, in pushing him like further down that pecking order again. Um, I think it's either 
now it seems like it's either time to integrate him into the squad and start using him or to go, all right, time to move on and look at other options. I think I'm coming in with the assumption, given our injury record this season, that the player, the player that we say brought in, hypothetically, or Hill are going to get injured um, and Decky will get injured. And so then it will be useful to have Hill or this other player. I agree with you though, long-term. It's like, well, then we're just kind of, you know, we're unearthing Hill and saying, hey, have a have a good play um, on the pitch. And then buying someone and being like, get back in the dungeon, little boy. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely with your little boy body. Um, yeah. That sounded weird when I said that. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and the context of what we're using it in. Um, uh, moving on. No, I guess with <laughs> with that, I think then maybe if we're bringing in like an older player um, who it's still like, all right, Brian is, he's still kind of like the future, like we're looking to for him to keep growing with the club and still be with us for a few years. And then maybe there is an older player who comes in who's kind of like, I guess, Perisic-esque in that sense where experienced, you know what you're getting, and then they can help sort of you know, fit that short-term need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other player that had uh, an absolute cracker was um, across both games was Saar, who I watching him, and this is just the most unmeasurable metric in the world, but my internal uh, gauge of players was like, oh, this fella's a real deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> watching, I was like, oh, he's pretty good. I'd love to see your graph for that where you've just like, <laughs> It's just like, it's only zero or like a hundred. Yeah, it is. It's either the real deal or no. Nah. Nah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's unlike the mustard system where there are intervals along the graph that this is just binary. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, to me, it fits the real deal um, very, very nicely. Yeah. I think there's definitely something about him. Like, cause this is the first time, like we saw him a tiny bit in preseason. Um, but this is the first time we've seen him in actually, I guess, some proper sort of competitive games and he does look like pretty comfortable. Like I'm not saying let's start every game with Sar in there, but it gives me a lot more hope for our midfield and our central midfield at the moment. Like I really don't think that's a priority area for us to, to be looking for, for other players. And I think there has been a, a little bit of talk from either Conte or Stellini or someone about like, you know, Sar's done quite a lot of work and he's been improving in these different, um, areas and some of his like possession and touch plan and and these sort of bits and pieces. But yeah, like you look at him and you're like, this is, he's a big guy. Um, and I don't think he, it's not like you don't look and go, oh, there's just a little 18 year old or 19, however (laughs) old he is out there. You go like, he's a big guy. And it's like, if he keeps developing, it's like, this could be a, a, he could be a pretty dominant midfielder. Yeah. He's got that big boy body. That big boy body. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just thought his touch um, is really good. His tackling's really good. He seems calm on the ball. Um, maybe what? Maybe my internal, um, he's a proper footballer metric is just whether I feel like I can trust them. Yeah. And I, tr- I trust Pape Sar with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think, does, does that metric as well, because this is what I kind of take it a little bit to be, is that you just see someone and they just look comfortable or if they look like they're trying too hard all the time for even the smallest little tasks. Like that's, Mm. that's maybe what I get from like, oh yeah, this is a, this person can play. 
is just mm. when they they just seem like and they're still gonna make mistakes, but they'll just seem like pretty comfortable. And like you say, you just go, oh, you just sit back in your chair, and you're like, oh, okay, he's got it, he's fine. Um, whereas you get other players who maybe like say Lucas would be an example where it's just like it looks like it's always going at a hundred like a hundred percent effort. And I don't mean that in like a, a positive sense. It's like, they're always trying so hard to do everything. And it's like, everything's ticking over and it's just like a ticking time bomb before something's about to go wrong. I think you're right. I think you're actually, you've reminded me of a dream I had last night where I was playing for Spurs in the back line with Eric Dyer and he was hoofing balls vertically up into the air constantly. And they were raining back down and getting very close to being own goals. And wait, where were you? What were you doing while he was doing that? I was standing next to him going, Eric, what are you doing? <laughs> Barney, I think you've just shown that you could be captain material for Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Larice was doing nothing. He was silent. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, the best captain I ever played with. Wow. He's always asking questions. He's He wants to know about you. Yeah. Maybe like, you know, when people talk about Hoiber as just being like pointy and shouty, we don't know. Maybe he's pointing and asking questions. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> what's that? What's that? What's that over there? Wait, what's that over there? What's that? What's that? <laughs> he doesn't have object permanence. No. He's just going, wait a minute. What? <laughs> Where'd the ball go? What? What's that? I would actually love, like, I, I, we've spoken about refs being mic'd up and stuff before, but having a captain mic'd up, um, that would be so fascinating, I think, to hear for a game. Yeah. Um, mm. Because there would be some who I'm sure you would watch them and you'd listen to them and you'd be like, wow, that is just incredible. But then there would be some others who would just be like, just shouting absolute nonsense, like a Ryan Shawcross Mm. type. (laughs) They're just going to be probably like abusing their own players. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or ones that would be completely silent. And then once one thing maybe goes slightly wrong, they just go, Come on, boys, stand up tall. And that's it. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's just some like, you know, brilliant captain from like some team. It's like, they just, they say three words a game, but they're just always so spot on. And then you have like Jordan Pickford and it's just like, (laughs) God, he's a weird dude. He's a weird dude. Someone we're also being linked with again. Oh, I don't think I can handle the frog man being in our goal. Yeah. Should we move on to transfers now? I guess that's... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. What's he been doing? What's he up to? Paratici. Paratici watch. He's been hiding from legal proceedings. <laughs> he's been hiding, <laughs> hiding away. Uh, he, he's been busy, as reported by The Athletic. <laughs> Talks were supposed to happen, but Paratici was busy. Uh, yeah. He's also... Is he still in legal trouble? I like <laughs> The last I heard is like... There was a warrant for him, or like, did so, like something was going on. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really know. I, I don't subscribe to the Athletic anymore, so I don't get these insights. Um, I don't get these long pieces that um, are the absolute trophies of football journalism anymore. All I get is the Daily Mail, and they're not repeating, <laughs> and they're not reporting anything about Paratici. Yeah, if and if anything, it's like Paratici was wearing open toe sandals at brunch. <laughs> Yeah. Club in tatters. I saw on the mail, I saw something the other day. It was a long form article by The Guardian about um, the snakes on some island off Tasmania. And the whole thing was like this guy being like, yes, they're big, but they're not as big as people think. They're not as venomous. Um, You know, they're just a little bit bigger. And then (laughs) 
I saw the the mail report the same story, but the caption the the headline was gigantic killer snakes <laughs> <laughs> um, on little known island in Australia. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then underneath it said, sorry, they are double the size of normal snakes. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, that that seems like a, a well-checked source of fact. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the, the thing is, it's it's uh, which I think I'm going to loosely tie this to transfer reporting, where what they've said is, especially with a double the size, it's not untrue because they've said snakes. So it's like, well, they could be double the size of um, a whip snake or yeah. you know, like a little snake, sure, but they're not double the size of tiger snakes, which is what they are. Yeah, It's like chance of reporting where it's like, you know, there are rumours uh, that it's like, well, there could be rumours. doesn't mean that any of them are true. Oh, definitely. And like, this is just so prone. Like I, all these like publications and journalists, they're just sitting there at their keyboards, just absolutely licking their chops going like Spurs fans are just so sensitive at the moment to any transfer mm-hmm. rumours. I'm just going to put out a tweet. And then it's kind of just go bananas, whatever it's saying. Like there's been so much talk about Poro um, and like, oh, we're not moving fast enough. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. Like I've, I've taken the approach on that one that this to me, it's almost the tipping point of just like how many people have actually seen Pedro Poro play more than two mm. games against us. And compared to the amount of people who are going, we must get him. We have to sign him for 40 mil. We have to do this. If we're not signing him, the only reason is that Daniel Levy doesn't want to spend money again. Yeah. And it's, I'm not here, to, again, this is not just blindly defending the club or anything like that, but there's so little to this. And there are still a lot of concerns from various people about Poro's game. And is he actually worth 40 mil? Um, but it just seems now that like we're so desperate for just signings that as soon as a link comes up, if it then dies down, it's just mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. I mean, I think, you know, there's there's all this stuff about Poro and um, we must sign. He will be the revolution at right back. He's going to be unbelievable. And then two mentions in one episode, lucky you, Nathan Clark. He was like, he's five foot seven and very erratic in his decision making. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not a Conte player. Yeah. Like, seemingly. Maybe he is. Who knows? But l- we don't know is the important thing as to what the actual want for him is from Conte. Or whether the club, how serious they are, um, whether he'd fit in well. You know, most fans, as you said, have seen two games and that's it. And it's still, it's a substantial fee. Like it's, we, we kind of get, I, I guess, sort of, um, I was going to say brainwashed, but I don't know if that's right. But when we see all these fees of like 100 mil, 80 mil, 120 mil, all this sort of stuff, we suddenly then think, oh, 40 mil's nothing for a player. But. You know, I still think the, the people who are really getting up in arms about this, they're like, yeah, we better sign 40 mil. All right, hang on. I've got to go back to abusing Emerson Royale because that didn't work out that well. And so it's like, I think that the club is just still, they're, they're wary of spending money in the fact that we've had a few players that haven't been super cheap, like the Cellstone, Dombele, Royale, which, you know, haven't been, I, I guess, what you'd call successful <laughs> purchases. Mm. So I... Yeah, like ultimately, I just want us to make some like some smart moves, and I know that's easy just to say, but yeah, I, I think I, I would be disappointed if we didn't bring in someone this window. Um, I it just wouldn't surprise me if you know Paratici's got his like table of phones going, and he's just trying to work on ten deals at the moment, and mm. we'll end up buying someone that we didn't even know we were linked with. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there is definitely a bit of um, residual maybe anger from five or six years ago when other teams would sign players for, say, 40 mil, 50, 60, 70, and we would do lots of deals for 20 mil for players that then are no longer playing at the club. Um, but I think even with those expensive players that we signed that um, ended up being absolute uh, car accidents <laughs> for Tottenham Hotspur, um, there is this, like, w- the the luck and the the randomness involved in the fact that Decky and um, uh, Benton Kerr both worked in one window seems to me almost astronomically unlikely where you can buy players that are meant to be these sort of guarantees, they're worth a big fee, and then for whatever reason, they don't settle in well, They something happens when they move, um, they don't like the weather, the coach <laughs> meets them and goes, actually don't like you. Um, you know, the playing, they don't mesh with the playing group, whatever. Um, there are so many things that can stop a player that feasibly, you know, seems like a really good match from performing in the way that uh, you are intending them to when you buy them. Oh, definitely. And I think what you mentioned there is, is really important to remember too, that with the, like Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky, that's not just the normal way a, a transfer window goes when you bring in two players. Like mm. you don't bring in two players for really, really, really good value that end up turning out to be <laughs> amazing, you know, first name on the team sheet type of mm. type of players. And I just fear now as well that it's like we're expecting that as fans too. We're expecting like, well, look how easy it was last January when we got Decky and Mentecur. They're so great. So let's just do the same again. Let's just mm. one more time. Thanks, pa- Fabio. And yeah. it's, it's like, mm, it's not like, like you said, like it's very, very unlikely that that will happen again. Um, just that you'll get that lucky with, with two decent players being unavailable, sorry, out of favor at their current club and available for a pretty cheap fee because that club wants to buy someone else. And then they both end up turning out to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even when they did rock up, everyone, well, not everyone, but lots of the fan base were um, blaspheming, it could be called now, against Decky because he was too slow and he didn't do anything and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, no one's saying that now. Um after one game. So it's, it's hard moving to a new club, you know, like if you get 20 minutes and it's okay, it's like, Oh my God, we've bought another dud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even if you look at it and you go, okay, Decky took like, a couple of games to bet in, Bentaker a few as well. They still actually settled ridiculously quickly. Like mm. going back to, um, I know we've had many, many transfers since then, but when we brought Modric in, like Modric wasn't very good for the first, at least half a season. Yeah. And then after then, that's when he started taking off developing and became one of the best midfielders of his generation. So mm. I think that's the thing as well, that even if we bring in players this window, there's no sign that they are going to gel with the the squad and Conte system within a matter of weeks. Like, you hear people calling for like, well, if we already bought the players in, they'd be ready to go for Arsenal. They'd be ready to go for City. <laughs> they'd be ready to go. And it's like, have you just not paid attention to any of Conte stuff so far? Like he doesn't rush players in. He like takes months with them. <laughs> Unless there's someone who already really knows his system. Um, so 
yeah, like, having said all this, I still want us to like bring in um, at least one or two, but um, yeah, I just don't think we're going to necessarily get in players who are going to be, a, you know, a, a version 2.0 of your decky and your Bentica. Yeah, no, I don't think we will either. Would I like that to happen? Of course. Um, but it's not, it's that whole, you know, will this happen last time? So, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's like repeat bias or something. So all the, this happened in the past. So this will now happen again in the future when there are so many different factors that, um, affect the outcome of whatever the thing is. Um, so yeah, I mean, good luck, Paratish. <laughs> good luck. Good luck. Um, I think I saw something on Twitter, but I didn't actually see what the source of it was. And it was saying that there's, we're going to have a message from Paratici coming soon, or there's something, I, I, I don't know. Like it, it was very, very loose. I don't know why I'm even bringing it up because it was just so loosely mentioned that, um, I don't know how sort of accurate it is, but I think the other big thing, I guess that people are talking about at the moment is the potential interest of, uh, QSI, mm-hmm. um, and the Qataris buying a percentage of Spurs. Oh, so the QSI is not the program QI. It's not Stephen Fry. Imagine if that was Stephen Fry who was buying the club. And this was just a whole big mix up. The people, like they just had registered a similar name in Qatar. And it's like, no, no, no. Actually, Stephen Fry is buying the club. Stephen Fry and Alan Davies, your mum's <laughs> favorite pair. Can you imagine that? If somehow they managed to buy the club in, I don't know, some deal went wrong. I feel like we'd be a very wholesome club, but we would be like in League Two within like a season somehow. Oh, we would definitely, because it would be lots of like, um, well, you know, these boys have got to go out there, all these systems we've got in place. No, thank you. Yeah. It's about just, you know, being a gentleman. It's like our players aren't playing well, but, you know, at the training ground, we put them down for a lovely afternoon nap. Just Stephen Fry <laughs> gets out his book and there was once a tiny rabbit named Joseph. <laughs> oh, my, one of my favorite stories, Joseph, Joseph, the rabbit, Joseph, the, um, the tiny rabbit, Joseph, the tiny rabbit. <laughs> Joseph is such a good name for a rabbit. <laughs> this is like what Brian Hill's reading every day to give him motivation. Joseph, the tiny rabbit. Exactly. Yeah. He's reading Joseph, the tiny rabbit. Um, it makes his boy body feel strong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Stephen Fry is on the board at Norwich, I think. Yeah, I know he's definitely a big Norwich fan, um, and mm. it wouldn't surprise me if he's on board at all. Um, mm. With and uh, does Delia still own Norwich? I don't know. Oh, I, hope I so. just love that clip where like what, it's it's <laughs> like let's have it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is phenomenal. I wonder when they'll be they'll they'll surely be back up in the league in a season or two. Just just it seems to be going up and down. Well, that's their pattern, you know. They've got to come up, then they've got to get the lowest points ever in the Premier League, go down, then come back up again, <laughs> do the like break their own record. So I'm sure we'll see them soon. But yeah, the the QSI, the Qatar uh, Investment Fund. Um, uh, what does this the S stand for? I assume it's probably like Qatar Qatari Sporting Investments. I I assume. Secret. Or secret, yeah. Qatar secret investments. <laughs> uh, guys, should you really register a giant company called <laughs> secret investment company? Shh, don't say it so loud. <laughs> You're now listed on the stock exchange. Is that really the smartest <laughs> thing to do? Shh, shh. No one will know. I think the big thing that's sort of come out of this is that 
Um, it's they want a minority stake in the club, which means they won't be owning the club. Um, they want to invest in it for some kind of soft power. It's not a Newcastle PSG scenario where the whole club's being bought out. They're going to spend heaps of money. Um, they might inject money, maybe, um, but it's not the same sort of like uh, thing. It's not the same same kind of modality there. It's it's different. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think some stuff from, I think it was Ben Jacobs who broke the story. Um, and I think he, he provided sort of more thoughts and, and insight around that. And from my understanding, it is like, it would be very, very difficult for them to say fully own PSG and fully own Tottenham. Um, that would be like, there's a lot of conflict of interest there. It would seem of like two, two clubs in the Champions League yet who, you know, could face each other could also give each other very favorable transfer deals. I'm not sure if there's any laws against this because, you know, you do have like the city group who, but maybe it's, you have to own a club that it's in a much lower league or I don't know. I don't know how it all works, but yeah, it seems like if, if anything was to happen from this, it would be coming in as a form of investment, but Levy and Enik would still be running the club. Would though this then be kind of like a stepping stone that, you know, they, they decide that they, they're sort of done with PSG and they want to, <laughs> you know, get, move on from there and sell that. And then, you know, in a couple of years time, upgrade their minority investment to just buy everything out. Um, I'm not too sure, but like overall, even if it is just a minority investment to get funds in, I'm still not for it at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think in terms of the I don't know whether there's like insider trading there if if PSG and Tottenham could send each other players for cheap or whatever because I don't know how the Red Bull system operates but like Salzburg and um what's the one in the Bundesliga called Leipzig Leipzig um like they uh sort of seemingly like they could play each other there is a possibility through playing in uh European football right yeah, and I mean, also QSI they own a percentage of Braga as well. So, I'm I'm I just feel like there's got to be some ruling around it somewhere, but mm. um, or maybe there isn't. <laughs> maybe that they just has never come up before, and UEFA or FIFA just well, just give us some money, and who cares about this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years, um, Disney will be like, we're done with movies. Now we're going to buy every sports team. Yeah. <laughs> The Disney Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Tottenham will now be renamed Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Mickey Mouse versus Goofy this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the Goofy fans are in full voice. Oh, roar, 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 roar. <laughs> yeah. oh God. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I. to me, I sort of was, was thinking about this because, you know, the standard reaction among the Spurs fans that we would usually interact with is of course very negative And it's like, no, this is terrible. Um, Qatar, human rights, blah, 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 blah. And as a, as a method of sports washing, what, you know, this is about soft power, blah, blah, blah. I was sort of reflecting on that and I was like, I don't actually know what the outcome of sports washing is because I don't feel differently about any of the um, countries that own clubs. Yeah. And maybe, I guess it would be, do people that 
support. I mean, we know from the Newcastle fans dressing up as Saudi Arabians, maybe <laughs> people are that sort of uh, uncritical and are just happy to uh, feel like their club's being supported. But uh, I sort of, I'm like, what is the purpose? I guess maybe there's some way geopolitically that because of their investment, they're able to sit at certain tables and influence certain decisions. I guess that must be it that I'm not privy to. But I think for the average fan, you know, I've seen so many takes of like, well, if they buy us, maybe we'll last spend some money. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, you know, you can sort of like sneer at that, but at the same time, there are these people that have followed the club for a very long time and will be there after any owner um, comes and goes and what they plan to do with the club. And to them, what's important is going and enjoying this thing that's escapism, it's identity, it's all these other, you know, things that are important to people. And so, of course, it's like, well, what are the benefits for my enjoyment of this? Mm. Not well, what are the global ramifications and um, geopolitical business um, effects of this um, deal? What, what's going to happen? It's like, well, no, it's, it's, that's not what it's about for me. It's actually about going with my friends and having a good time. Um, and so I kind of like, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, no way, that's appalling. I hate it. But there's another part of me that's like, Imagine if we could just blow 200 million every <laughs> window. Like, it'd be pretty fun. It'd be pretty fun, but I mean, and I, and I think, look, it is hard to know exactly how you would feel when it actually happens. When as when you're speculating about it, I think, yeah, it is easy to go both ways, either be like, you know, overly positive or overly negative without actually being like, how does it feel in the moment and what do you justify either way? Mm. Um my kind of take on it is that I feel like there are a lot of people who just don't think about these things, they don't care about these things, they don't question them, any of that. And I think often it can be challenging. Like if you're thinking about this stuff and you're like, how do not, how do people not care about this? How do people not care? Like the truth is there are so many people who didn't care about Qatar hosting the World Cup and mm. loved it, thought it was great and like don't really seem to care about any of the other issues surrounding it. Um, and I think that kind of happens here too. Like you put your own priorities first. And if fans are like, well, my priority is I want the team to be spending. Then they find a way to justify however that happens. Um, mm. I just think though, there are a lot of fans and I, I don't want to call like people, I don't want to say like, you know, it's not a basic way of thinking, but it's like that sort of like keep politics out of football. Don't even think about it. Oh, whatever. I don't care. Da, da, da. And it just doesn't even enter their mind that this could be, a conflicting, uh, you know, idea, or this might be a slightly problematic thing to happen. Um, I still feel deep down, like given how much we've criticized like Newcastle and Saudi, Saudi Arabia and how they've, you know, handled that and Man City in the past and Chelsea and everything. If we then repeat that, I'm like, all right, well, I guess the last like, you know, 15, 20 years of, of, of feeling this way about something now I'm changing and I don't care about any of that. So mm. I think that to me gives me, I guess, it reassures me that I would probably still feel uncomfortable if this did happen. And I'm not saying that's the right way to feel. I think, you know, everyone is going to feel differently about whatever. But yeah, I, I still think even if that means we're signing, you know, bigger players, we're spending a lot more money and all that, I still feel like I would not be that comfortable with it. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'd feel comfortable either because of that dissonance between, um, oh, yeah, we're going to buy Mbappe, which we wouldn't, uh, versus what does this actually mean in terms of uh, the world and the club and the sport and, you know, all those um, other sort of ramifications. But I also, there's a part of me that goes, um, you know, I work at my job. I have to think about all of these things all the time and constantly be assessing for risk and constantly be trying to um, think steps ahead of, of whatever I'm doing. And then when this came up, there was a part of me that was just like, oh, God, I can't be bothered. Let me do it. I don't care. I just want to enjoy this because this is a thing in my life that is enjoyable rather than like, oh, okay, now I'm going to have to, um, you know, bang on about the the ills of a country that I've never visited nor probably never will, um, which, which sounds very, like, um, self-centred. But I guess what I mean by that is... Um, the disenfranchisement of, of individual people with this idea of like, um, well, what's the point in getting upset about it? Cause what can we actually do? You know, that powerlessness allows for these kinds of things to happen as opposed to, no, I don't like this. And I'm going to, what can I do about it? What can the collective do about it to stop it? There is this sort of, especially with how big, you know, the premier league is and the money involved. It's sort of like, well, you know, if I went, right, that's it. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing my podcast anymore. Obviously Daniel <laughs> Levy would be very upset. It's his favorite, but, um, I don't, you know, it wouldn't have that kind of, it sort of feels pointless, Yeah. you know, to resist, which is an effect of the market and a, a purposeful effect of the market. But I also exist within that market. And so it's quite hard to feel it's, uh, you know, sort of a sense of, of duty or empowerment to act against it when at the same time it's like, like, I don't know what that power is. Yeah, totally. And I think it, like at, at its core, this is, it's a very complex sort of issue and it easy, it is easy to just be like, nah, get out, stop, no, no, no. Or yeah, all in, all in, all in. But you're right. There's like, there are so many different layers to this. And then this isn't even taking into account like the fact, you know, like our current owners, like Joe Lewis is not squeaky clean. Um, no. and like he's stolen parts of Patagonia <laughs> to put like mansions on and things like that. So it's with the acknowledgement as well, that it's not like our current owner has no, nothing to answer for either, but it seems now that I guess what the free for all has been started with club ownership and it's just, you know, I, I think it's turning into that a little bit, a free for all that fans just ultimately don't care. Cause I'm like, if, if you say, what can you do if if the club were, oh, sorry, if the fans were overwhelmingly against this and they like protest and like, no, 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 it still might not stop it, but it could have some, you know, it could go against it in some manner. But I just mm. feel like what have fans been protesting about in recent years? They've been protesting about spending more money. Yeah. Um, but then they also protest against going into the Super League. But now they're like, oh, no, but we want to get someone to pump in hundreds of millions. So I think even just fans making those statements, is con it's a constant contradiction. Um, mm. And yeah, like ultimately, yeah, we don't really have any way to stop this happening. And that's why I find it's a really difficult question to answer if someone says, what would you do if the club did this? And you can only really talk, I think, about how you feel right now, which is I don't feel good about it. I don't want it to happen. But when it actually comes time to it happening... You're just going to feel, you're not going to make that choice, but you're going to feel, ah, oh, 
does this feel really yuck? And now I kind of feel like I need to stop supporting the club as much or stop it. We're getting Mbappe. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I think it's really, really hard to gauge how you would feel in the future on that. Yeah. Oh, totally. I've got no idea. I think, you know, that kind of contradiction of, of wants or, or needs as a fan is again, by design of, of the way that market capitalism works in the sense that, you know, if you scroll through your phone and you get ads for, um, the 5am club, uh, get up at 5am and go for a run. And then the next ad is for like uh, Bacardi and then the next, and it's like, go out and have fun with your friends and the coolest people party all the time. And then the next ad is like, getting 11 hours of sleep is extremely important. That's why we invented this app. It's like eventually it pulls at you from all sides where you can't, you couldn't satisfy all of the things it's saying that you need, but what's left in the middle of of you and what you actually want, there's nothing there because you've been spread so thin where it's the same thing here where there's just like, we want more money. We want more um, fan involvement in club decisions. We want um, to have a, a good stadium, but we want... Um, there to be, you know, like easy accessibility for all people, but also we need to charge a certain amount of money so we can make revenue, you know, like all of that is just this all competing. And the thing is that at the end of the day, the thing that wins almost a hundred percent of the time is money, um, and where the money is. So, you know, I've got no idea how I would, how I would feel if it would happen, but I think I'd probably feel uncomfortable and then eventually, resigned <laughs> I think it's eventually resigned I resign as a fan yeah <laughs> but that's the thing I'm not going to do that that's that's what the trap is yeah and I, and I think as well like then the other sort of debate comes up of like all right well if everyone else is doing this and going in this direction and other clubs have tried like Everton have tried it a bit too they just spent their money horrendously yeah. um but if we're like all right if all the other clubs are doing this what moral high ground are we on by standing back and going like, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to stay out of all this. And I'm not trying to then applaud and say, yeah, we should be all in. But it's just that thing of like, if everyone else is doing it in the league and we look at that as like, oh, they're cheating their way to this. Eventually, at what point does that just become the actual way to do things? And you're just kind of punishing yourself by standing on the outside and going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. When everyone's like, hey, man, it doesn't matter. Everyone else, it's fine. It's fine. Mm. Hey, we're all, we're all, we're all, we're all looting and robbing. It's fine. Like it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really true, but also, you know, what you mentioned before about Joe Lewis, anyone that buys a football club by nature of a, acquiring that amount of wealth to be able to do that, they've either, well, there's two things. One, they've probably done some bad shit to get there, <laughs> but two, they are perpetuating uh, perpetually doing bad shit by accumulating that wealth, you know, uh, so that they can buy a football club Yeah. to a point where it's like, well, they have so much money that they couldn't possibly use it all in their lifetime. But there are other people in the world, you know, I'm not, not even to the point of thinking like, you know, world vision ad Africa, like even just in, in Western society that live in poverty, that, you know, uh, the money that this person would make in an hour would change their entire life, but they still accrue it. So it's almost, it's, it's this deal with the devil. It's like impossible to have someone who is that wealthy also be like, 
and everything I've ever done is awesome and great and ethically sound. And every decision I will make from this point is ethically sound. It's like, you can't, you can't win. I think that often comes up when people like sell the club, I want you owners, sell the club. And then there's either two types of responses. One is the to who, like present Mm. us with who first before we then decide whether we like this idea or the other response is like, I don't care. I want success. And I think like what you say, like there's, there's very few billionaires who are like, there's no billionaire who's like, well, this is like, um, uh, Elizabeth McGlenley and she sold a charity for 5 billion pounds, uh, which actually probably that's, she needs more than that. She sold a charity for 20 billion pounds. She now wants to mm. buy a football club, squeaky clean. Mm. Like it's never yeah. that. It's always like they've got. Oh, they run this business and it's always a bit sort of like, all right, that's a bit unclear as to what exactly they do. And then yep. you start looking into it, it's like, oh, okay, they've yeah, I don't know if I want to keep looking into this anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's always the always the way where if you start digging in these big companies that are called like Flash International, and you're like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And then you start looking and it's like, oh. Um, I love the response of like <laughs> uh, I don't care anyone. I just want glory and victory. And then, <laughs> well, we've reanimated Hitler and Stalin, and yeah. they put in a bid for the club um, for four hundred billion pounds. I don't know where they got it, but who cares? Like <laughs> they got it from their stolen know, the, treasure from World War Two. Yeah, yeah, they melted down all that gold, <laughs> that Nazi gold, and they purchased the club. They will deliver glory. It's like Jesus. Well. To t- totally, totally. And so some fans mm. will be like, you know what? It's a bit, bit out there, but, uh, I, you know, if we, if we win, then what of it? Mm. And so I still, yeah, I, 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 I would be very, very surprised if I ever moved into that camp <laughs> mm. of it, of just not caring. Cause I also think like, if you care that much about your, your team, like you just willing to do that, I'm like, that feels you like you need to step back a little bit <laughs> and mm. just, you know. Maybe yeah. just get a bit more perspective on things, but mm. who knows? And it, it, who knows how much this Mike minority share will be? Like if, if this is even happening, <laughs> imagine if all this and it's like, they bought 1% of the club and then mm. it's like, well, 1% is not a lot. Mm. But then if it's like, oh, they bought 45% of the club, it's like, well, that's, yeah. uh, that's a fair bit, but then you should be mm. able to step back and go, hang on. Any percentage means should mean the same thing in a way. Of like, if you've, you have moral objections to it, but I mean, look, it's, it's just such a, I feel like it's such a dense topic. Um, there is no right. There is no wrong. There's, it's so tricky. It's like growing football clubs sustainably has been removed from the game and city and Chelsea started that a long time ago. Mm. Like if let's, if this didn't happen, if all this, you know, billionaire stuff never happened with football clubs, I am, I'm so sure that the way that we have grown it's like, we would have won league titles. We would have like, you know, could have won some champions. They could have won something. Like we would have definitely won a lot more trophies over the last 20 years. But it's like the, the game sort of evolved to become like a billionaire's playground. And now it's like really for you to compete, you need a billionaire who wants to like lose money and just mm. throw it away. And back to your point of like the people who have money to throw away like that are not usually the the sort of the best people going around. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think whenever I, it's, it's funny when I think about, uh, 
the clubs that have had that kind of investment from be it Chelsea or, or City or PSG, I'm like, Ugh, I hate that. I hate that so much. Um, or Newcastle, I was like, oh, that's gross. But if it was to happen, I, I would just love to know how I would feel internally about Spurs, that happening to Spurs. Whether Would I have the same, like, absolute disdain for it? Or, like I said, would there be a bit that was like, well, we're actually doing it a little bit differently because um, I know it's bad, but, you know, making excuses <laughs> for, like, some cooked um, regime owning, you know, the club that I support. Yeah. And like, like, what about this? Like, let's just say, let's go 10 years time. Every other club in the Premier League, every other club in the football league, all through the championship league, one league two, they are all owned by billionaires now. And it is just this complete race to just throw money, 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 money at everything. We are the one club who, as, as like we said, we still don't have like, you know, we're still owned by Joe Lewis. Somehow he's like still live, like a hundred and whatever. Um, but do we, are we then the one club just standing on like our moral high horse of like, nah, we're, we're staying strong where this is the resistance. Like, I think at that point you probably would, if you're going to drop out, you're just gonna be like, I'm just not following this sport anymore. I just can't, mm. I just can't keep following the sport. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I just want to take it back. Cause you, you mentioned, did you say five years in the future? I said 10, I think I might've started with five, but I, I think I upgraded to 10. So five to 10. And then you said, and Joe Lewis is a hundred and whatever, which implies that Joe Lewis is around a hundred at the moment. Well, he's like 80 something, isn't he? <laughs> I just love the idea that Joe Lewis at the moment is like 112 <laughs> to the point where in 10 years he would get to an age where you'd say a hundred and whatever. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think he looks like 112. Um, yeah. And you he never, does. you never see him at things. So you're like, maybe he died like 20 years ago. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, true. I thought he wasn't allowed to get off his boat. <laughs> For legal reasons. Yeah, like I thought he had to like always be on his boat. He couldn't because if he came onto land, they'd arrest <laughs> Wait, him. Wait, in like international waters, he's just always out. <laughs> or like Barbados or like tax havens. <laughs> but if he was to ever step on uh, English soil or something, he's immediately going to be arrested. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, actually, I want to do a deeper dive into Joe Lewis. Um, yeah, that sounds good. We should do that. And just sort of look further into that, but that would, <laughs> that really wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Cause I feel like, like, like earlier in the year when they were seizing all the assets of all the Russian oligarchs and everything, it's like all of them had super yachts <laughs> and, it's just mm, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't think it's just like, Oh, luxury super yacht. That's fun. I feel like it's very much like, shit, can we get to the super yacht fast enough that we can get into international waters and they can't arrest us and seize everything that we own. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Do you reckon when that was happening initially, when the initial investigations were happening, Joe Lewis was like, <laughs> they'll never get me on my super yacht. And then he saw the super yachts going down yeah. and he was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I better go back to my mansion in Patagonia. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to build a submarine, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just in a submarine. That's that's just where he is. Mm. I, I, what, do clubs normally see their owners? I feel like sometimes, like they make an appearance every now and then. Yeah, I, I think some clubs have you know owners that come and watch the game. But yeah, like as in, I, I guess I mean like these other clubs owned by like you, you'll see them pop up from time to time. But mm. I don't know, like it would have been reported if Joe Lewis was at a recent Spurs game, but I, I don't think the last like ten years have been even reported anywhere near. Um, yeah, the club, which really kind of shows that it's purely just an investment. Um, mm. 
for him, which is mm-hmm. also why it's like, if you have an investment, you're not going to throw away money into it for no reason. I mean, I also, you know, he might not be coming in because it's an investment or, or if he, uh, does, um, breach land, he will be sent to Alcatraz prison. So <laughs> like, can you send me to a British prison? No, nope. Alcatraz. It's not even <laughs> working prison anymore. Well, it is now. <laughs> yeah, it is now. We have, uh, we've done some renovations. Um, and it's working. Uh, it's worse. We made it worse. Think of it as your uh, as your new private island. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I reckon that's uh, that's time. What about you? I agree. Just the way you said time is like, is if we're in a game show and it's just like, let's time. Uh, check your Pittsburghy uh, <laughs> bingo score sheets. Did you get through all the topics that you were thinking of? I was trying to come up with a way to say it, and I couldn't decide. And so I went with it's uh, that's time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not happy about it, but no, I like it. I like it. I do like it. Um, just the announcement there. Um, yeah, I think that kind of covers everything. Like this has been the main talking mm-hmm. point this week. We've obviously got a couple of pretty important games. We've got the North London Derby, which is going to be huge. Um, mm-hmm. one final question I'll post to you, which I saw someone put up on Twitter, was: Would you prefer to win the North London Derby against Arsenal and then lose two games against City, or lose a North London derby and then win two games against city. And there's no room to go like, why not just win all three, mate? Uh, those are the only two options. What would you choose? Well, if we lose to Arsenal and then win against city both times, that's going to mean that we're going to, uh, pretty much like give them the title. Yep. <laughs> but if we beat them and then lose twice to city that maybe puts our top four hopes in jeopardy mm-hmm. um, but maybe not so i'm gonna go with the first one i'm gonna say beat arsenal beat arsenal and lose to city yep uh yeah so initially i was thinking like oh i probably want the two the two wins against city that would be better mm. but then i did the same thing as you pulled it out and you're like hang on a second here mm. <laughs> arsenal already have a lead and if we then extend that lead by nine points <laughs> to over City, like that is effectively giving them the title. And yep. I think there is a point as well that like we shouldn't just be focused on Arsenal this whole season. Like we need to work out uh, and just worry about what we're doing and not just constantly be looking up at Arsenal the whole time. But I would really hate it if we did this, a chain of events, <laughs> even if it got us an extra three points at the end of these three games. But if we effectively like gifted Arsenal the title, that would, that would not be good at no. all. Like, I think a really great result and something which is possible is we could beat Arsenal and then we could beat City once. Mm. But yeah, it'll be an interesting run of games. And I, yeah, I don't think it would rule us out for, for top four if we lost two of those, like you're saying, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be an interesting month. Like we get to the end of the month, if we haven't had good results here, if there haven't been hasn't been one or two players come in, then I f- I'm fair. It's fairly sh- sure you'll see some like more protests <laughs> happening. I think. Yeah, I think you'll definitely see some. I think you'll see some protests if, um, we get absolutely drubbed by Arsenal. Um, and again, in the first game against City, it kind of goes. Not very well. We don't get thrashed. I think even at that point, you'll start seeing 
the main thing will be the main trigger will be Arsenal, depending on how it goes. Yeah, I think you're right. If we beat Arsenal, then we can get smashed by City, and people will be disappointed. Obviously, um, I do think though we actually are set up pretty well for Arsenal and City because they're both going to want to have the ball. They're both going to want to play against us. And that's kind of what we want at the moment, because we can't be trusted with when we have the ball for the full game right no. now. So I do think that when we are really in these games, um, and we've got really good records against City recently and not mm. so much Arsenal, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to these games. Like I'm kind of excited because I still think that we can do something, um, especially if like, you know, Kane's playing like he was against Palace, dropping back a bit, and hopefully Decky's back in mm. and and whatnot. So it'll be a fun couple of weeks either way. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Um, I don't know about fun. It will be intense. It will be an intense couple of weeks. Intense or fun, depending on how the results go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. As always, I've been Barney. I've been Dan. And come on, you Spurs! You've been listening to a bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.